Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here and we will be speaking about hidden miracles are easy to find. One of the most um, popular questions, if you wish, common questions people ask, are, do you believe in miracles? But like all matters, as soon as you ask whether you believe in something or you accept something, you have to first define what the word miracle means before you say you believe or don't believe in it. So most people, the knee-jerk reaction to the word miracle is some fantastical nature-suspending event, like the parting of the sea. Imagine right in the middle of your street, suddenly the street would completely go, defy all laws of nature and do something miraculous. But is that really the true definition of a miracle? Because we also hear of this expression, for instance, the miracle of birth. Everyone experiencing birth says it's a miracle. But it's not fantastical, and it's not crazy, and it's not even law, it's not in our eyes suspending any nature because people are born all the time. But still, we sense a miracle, and their miracle would be more like an awesome event, a unique event, something that evokes a sense of... of of awe. And that too could go into the category of miracle. So what exactly is a miracle? There's a very powerful statement in the Talmud that says the following, that a person who experiences a miracle often does themselves, they themselves don't recognize that a miracle has taken place, that the miracle has transpired. Then there's the Chacham Tzvi, a middle-aged great sage, scholar, who writes something which has been then rephrased by others, the idea that, that nature is really a continuum, continuum of miracles happening so, so quickly, one right, one right after the other, that we call that a natural order. When you think of it that way, it of course evokes something I've mentioned many times from the Baal Shem Tov, who just for the record tonight tomorrow, well actually not tonight, today was his birthday, the 18th day of Elul, his birthday in the year 1798 so that would mean 1898, 2000 would be um, 220 <laughs> And 221 years ago, right? His birthday. It's also the birthday of his, uh, his student student who filled his shoes. The Alter Rebbe of Shneir Zaman is also his birthday on the 18th of El. And obviously we'll be speaking about ideas and themes that come from them. So the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov says that the difference between a natural event and a miracle is one thing only. Frequency. To so just use an example, if the sun were to rise once in our lifetimes, we consider it to be a tremendous miracle. Crews, photo, film crews and photos would be taken. We'd take our families to see this ball rising in the horizon. Look at solar eclipses, for instance. But since it happens every morning and all over the world, it becomes something that is regular, quote-unquote regular. The Alter Rebbe, the, who's also this birth, the birthday today, was the 18th of El, 
says in Tanya, in his classic work, he says that nature, the word teva, nature, is a word used whenever you don't understand something, you say it's a natural event. Just as, as if that makes it understandable. So when you think of it, the frequency, then the whole concept of a miracle takes on a completely different uh, context and perspective. Then every second of life can be a miracle. Just because we're breathing and our bodies are functioning and because so many millions and billions of people that are born healthy children, that doesn't make it less of a miracle. So in that sense, miracles are really all around us. What makes something different, a natural event, than a miracle? So then we go back, you'll say a miracle has to be something that suspends nature, meaning that is not a continuum, is not an ongoing experience. But then it's just a matter of relative perspective, because is, the, is, a, is it less a miracle just because it happens all the time? So that would be more, we get bored of it. That doesn't make it less of a miracle. It means that we need new novelty, new excitement, a new rush, a new high, a new something fresh. So let's take this a step further. And really it comes down to, on a scientific level, as we probe and explore, let's even dissect the anatomy of nature itself. What makes nature nature? What makes something consistent? Why do things happen in a continuum? The seasons change, the sun rises, the sun sets, the moon, the stars, the movement of celestial bodies. Every aspect of nature, every species, every organism has its rule, so to speak. And what we call nature, the nature of things, would be something that has set rules and set guidelines. In that context, a miracle would be a disruption of those set guidelines. Right? But is that really a full definition? Is nature itself not perhaps miracles that have just become orderly? As opposed to something that happens once in a lifetime or happens very rarely? Or we would call a novelty? So if you really start thinking about it, on a, even not, on a more than an ostensible level, you come away realizing, one second, talking about something that I don't even even... You know, we just use these euphemisms, miracle, nature. When we really start thinking about it, everything really is a form of a miracle. The only difference is you can say there's a, there's a miracle that has now become, with a, has, now a, has developed into a pattern or a routine that's predictable. And there are things that are not predictable. But what makes the predictable more or less of a miracle? Just because it's predictable? Just because it's happening all the time? Let's go a step further, Eve. The concept that we've talked about many times, the idea of perpetual creation, again, the Baal Shem Tov, and of course, Rabbi Shneir Zalman and Tanya in the second section, Shai Yuchid Vamuna, talks at length about the concept of perpetual creation, meaning that the creative process of bringing existence into being is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing event. Every moment, the energy is renewed. So when we say, for example, if God wanted to destroy the world, Many people would say what he would do is, first he'd flood everything, then he'd burn it, and burn it down, and then scatter the ashes. When in truth, it's the exact opposite. God wanted to destroy the world, he would, do one, would destroy the world, he would do just one thing, nothing. Cease to will it to be. Cease to speak, cease to breathe, so to speak. So when we think of life, think of life as the breathing, living, pulsating organism, contraction and expansion of the heart and the pulse, 
the exhaling and inhaling of the breath. So because it's happening, let's say, 18 moments every minute, 18 breaths every minute, which is the average of a healthy breathing person, that doesn't mean it's less of a miracle because if one moment that would stop, or for a little while that would stop, life would stop. So the context of existence, therefore, is really pulsating energy. Stop the energy flow and existence ceases to be. Now this is not such a surprise today when you're somewhat familiar with, with modern physics. The idea that matter and energy are really one. So existence is a matter of energy. No pun intended. Energy of matter. And energy, by definition, is a renewable force. Think of electricity. If electricity doesn't continue to run into the main line to your home, the appliances, your light bulbs, everything that's run on electricity will cease. So it needs a constant flow. It could last a little while, but especially with electricity, it's not like water. Water, you can say you shut off the water source, the main line and the pipes in your home will still have some water for a while. But when it comes to energy, energy does not have any substance. So in that sense, it's constantly renewable. So what does that leave us with? That existence itself, existence. I'm not talking now the once-in-a-lifetime event that suspends nature or at least is not part of a routine. Even the routine itself is pulsating energy. Everything is vivif- being vivified anew every moment. The only thing is, the way the Kabbalists, the Hasidic masters put it, actually, they call it there's renewal, where you see, actually, you feel and sense something new, like a newborn child. And then there's this called renewing that was, was there already. So let's say that child is born, yes, everyone says a newborn child. Every minute after that, it's no longer a newborn child, it's the same child, but it's being renewed. It has, heart has to continue to beat, its breath has to continue to breathe, its mind has to continue to work. So we're calling it renewing something that's already there, and it's being renewed in the state that was there already. So interestingly, true renewal, you'd say, is where every second you renew this as, as if your memory is erased, you're like a new person. But we don't. We're renewed. If we're 20 years old, you're renewed as a 20-year-old. If you're 21, as a 21-year-old. So it's called in Hebrew, chidush hayyishenus. Renewing in a state that was already there and continuing from there. So that doesn't mean it's less of a miracle. It simply means the miracle is following a pattern. And the renewable entity is not just renewing from scratch, it's renewing something that's been there, but renewing the contract every moment again, like I said before, continuum. To the point that we human beings who are not sensitized and are always looking for something, ex- something exciting and new and fresh, think of it, oh, that's already old fear. But it's not. That's the key. So when the Talmud says even the one who experiences a miracle does not recognize or does not, is not aware, does not recognize the miracle, is one of the reasons for that is Precisely for this reason. Because once it becomes something common, why, why is it a miracle? Why is it a miracle that I'm breathing? Why is it a miracle that my heart is beating? Why is it a miracle that I'm alive? But pause for a moment and step back and think about it. Or God forbid if one goes through a crisis and some of these systems pause or interrupted for a while, then suddenly you appreciate what it takes. So you could really sum it up this way. There are miracles that happen once and there are miracles that happen all the time, which from the human point of view can become something less attractive, if you wish, less exciting, less uplifting. So once you define it that way, then when you really think about it, that this renewable energy 
can be renewed in two ways. It can be renewed as if it was there, or it can be renewed in a completely fresh new way. That, of course, would impress us more. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean that being renewed in, its, in the state that it was and refreshed and renewed is not less of a miracle. But that opens up a whole interesting set of new possibilities, and that is that when we ask the question, when we ask the question, how do we, how do we look at our lives? So some of us will say, well, my life is a monotonous series of routines. Once in a while, I have some rush of excitement. I have something to look forward to. But mainly it's back to that routine. The same situation can be looked at completely differently. It's not the same routine. It has similarities on the external level, but within is a constant new, new, a new renewal happening. Think of relationships. A relationship can easily become static. Two people who loved each other. Then they get into a rut, which can be routines and patterns. And the love is there, either in memory or beneath the surface, but it's not being revived. There's no sense a dynamic vitality of love. And on the surface level, what happens is to people becomes very static. It could become boring, it become unexciting, and all the consequences that result of that. The same relationship, should it be renewed, which means should it be appreciated as such, and efforts are made, work is done, in order to keep the flame alive, and that can be through different types of stimuli, different appreciate, deep, deeper levels of appreciation, focusing on it, more conversation, not taking it for granted, you suddenly have the same relationship, is dynamic, is exciting, is passionate. <clears throat> and both options are there in every given situation. Because when you truly love someone, you never, give, you're not, you never get bored with them, you never lose interest. Say it's the love of a child. You may be lazy. You may be distracted. It may be concealed. But if it's truly there alive, that type of connection, it's a matter of awareness and recognition that actually brings alive that relationship. And saying I love you and saying connecting to that love can be a dynamic force entire lifetime and beyond. Sometimes... Absence makes the heart fonder because you have something on the outside. You suddenly realize what you've lost or what you don't have at that moment. So you appreciate it more. But what's happening? It's not creating something new. It's that relationship being appreciated. So essentially you can say looking for miracle and discovering miracles is really a process of consciousness and higher awareness. Lack of that is a lower awareness or a blindness or a uh, sense of almost like a uh, lethargic state. So the more aware you are, the more conscious you are, the more you're sensitized, then you start seeing energy flowing everywhere. And when you see energy flowing everywhere, you're seeing miracles everywhere. The only thing is some miracles, as I said, become a continuum, so it repeats itself in a new plane, but it's still something excuse me, on the surface level appears as a repeat, it appears as a routine, but on the, beneath the surface is constantly being renewed. So now the big question is, how do we adjust and shift our perspective if indeed we've gotten caught in the rut, in the routine, and that's controlling our lives? Because if you can answer that question, methodologies to get to that place, then you 
resolve even a bigger issue, and that is how life can become really alive. Not just survival, but truly thriving, truly growing. And yes, indeed, how to see and find and detect hidden miracles, even, we can say, easily. But that requires a shift of perspective. So let's talk about two perspectives here. One is, and we'll just use, I'll just use an example. You give financial data, for instance, to a novice. Yeah, they show them the stock market, you show them the ups and downs, you show them different shifts in the unemployment levels or other statistics. So they'll see it. They may be able to read into it a bit and try to understand where it's going. Show it to a trained eye, someone who's been around. And this, I'll just use that as an example. It could be anything. Show a piece of art to a novice and show it to an expert. Listen to a piece of music. Again, a novice and a, a real expert. They see two different things completely. Where one just sees maybe random dots, the other one sees a pattern. Where one may see something nice, the other one may see magic. So the trained eye, in whatever field it may be, what, is it, what does it have that the novice, the one that's untrained eye, does not have? What does that experience and education and, and awareness add? It adds that you can look at the same thing, but you see something deeper within you see a pattern. Someone else will see dots. You'll see a pattern. You'll see a narrative. And though some people may say you're predicting the future, no, you're not. Because you see the narrative and you're so clear, you can see Ezra Chachem, who's the wise person that sees the birthing. He sees what this is birthing. And literally that, what's birthing, what will come of it. So if you're able to put these two perspectives side by side, you'd have one that essentially is a static perspective that looks at things for what they are, and, and perhaps can identify some type of um, pattern on a small level, but does not see the big picture. It's like someone who's looking at the horizon, but they're in the middle of the mountain or below on the ground, or even in a valley. Then the other person looks or stands on the peak of the mountain. What do they see? They see the bird's eye view. They see the entire panorama, the horizon. They see the entire big picture. So both are looking at the same thing, but one sees a big picture and one sees the detail. So this isn't uncommon. What I just said now doesn't even require the word miracle in it. It's simply seeing the picture for the enti- for, of its entirety. So you come into, let's say, an empty room. You look around and someone who's not trained, is not, not, is not aware, and they'll say, you'll say to them, what do you see? You'll say, I see a table, chairs, bookcases, walls, lights. Is this room alive? I'll say, well, if there's no people in it, it's not alive. It's lifeless. A bunch of lifeless objects. You go to um, a beach. And again, you look from a distance without focusing on detail. It could look also lifeless. Yeah, you see an ocean. Then suddenly someone shines a microscope. Someone shines a light. And suddenly you realize one second. Like Sometimes you see the infrared you see all kinds of life and organisms on a beach. And in the room, if you look a little deeper, you may not see it with your physical eyes, but there is pulsating energy. Everything is made up of microscopic and submicroscopic particles, subatomic particles and atoms. And those atoms are not lifeless. They're constantly on the move. There's an energy flow. Now, again, we may not see it with our eyes, 
but there are ways to measure it, there's ways to recognize it. Just look today, look at, look at, go walk down the street and take a cell phone. How many cell phones are being spoken at the same time in the same area? How's that possible? If it was very linear and very tangible, there's only, you know, how many people can speak without interfering with each other? But clearly there's some type of thing called airwaves and light waves. And when you manipulate them and you ride on those waves, suddenly there's a whole new reality going on, the invisible world beneath the surface. And this is what technology is. It's tapping into that invisible world. When I say invisible, I mean invisible to the naked eye. It's visible in different ways. So you, one person can look at something and say, nothing going on. The other person can say, it's full of energy and full of activity. One of the reasons teva in Hebrew called nature is because it comes from another word tovu, which means submerged. Like when you throw an object into the water, it gets submerged, disappears, and so on. Say, what happened to the object? It disappeared. If we didn't know better, and we had no cameras, and we never went under the water, we'd think, okay, you know, there's a few fish here and there. Sometimes we see a fin. So, you know, there's a bigger fish. Sometimes you see the fin of a whale. The tail of the whale. But who would even imagine the complexity of the ecosystems and all the different organisms, even more than on land, underwater? Mountains and valleys and volcanoes and earthquakes, everything you want. And more is going on beneath the surface. That's nature. It's a shroud that conceals. That's why the word, when you speak about the divine energy, as it manifests in nature, what is the word used? Elohim. Elohim is the gematria, the same numerical equivalent of the word the nature, hateva, the nature. Why? Because the divine presence has two manifestations, one in a revealed way, and one is in a concealed way. Concealed meaning concealed in the structure and the routine and the patterns. And that's what means the meaning of nature. Nature is essentially concealed energy. Submerged energy. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It just means it's submerged and we don't see it. When a person recognizes and looks beneath the surface, looks within, under the dashboard, under the water, suddenly it comes alive and you see a renewable energy all the time, a constant movement and constant mobility, that which is not visible to the naked eye and the naked experience. Now, we human beings are born naturally with that vivacity, with that energy flow, with that uh, mobility. But as we get older, just as our arteries harden, also our personalities and our bodies, we like to be couch potatoes, we like to become more lethargic, become lazier. What you're doing actually is defying and going against your own very nature, which is what? To be a mobile living entity, like we see young children, never resting, restless, because we're constantly alive. So this concept of becoming and doing nothing or doing less, as I said, the couch potato, is actually against human nature. But it becomes something we get trapped in, and that becomes nature. That's the pattern. But beneath the surface, and sometimes not so deep, and definitely on a deeper level, it's brimming with energy and energy and energy all the time. And therefore, continuous miracles in that sense. So then nature and miracle is not whether it's a natural event or a fantastic event. It's whether it's a pattern thing that you are seeing as being routine or you're seeing the extraordinary within the ordinary. That doesn't mean, as I mentioned before,
That does not mean, as I mentioned before, that there aren't things that happen once in a lifetime or once in history. They absolutely are. And that will, of course, get our attention more than the continuous miracles. But that's not because of it's a greater miracle, it's just simply of its frequency. And yes, there, that also includes there could be possible suspension of nature in the real sense of the word where you think of something defying gravity, for instance, or going against anything that's predictable in the laws of nature. So that's a miracle that manifests itself in a way that actually suspends routines. But again, that does not mean the routine is not miraculous. It just means it's more understandable or more, I wouldn't even say the word understandable, that's not the right word. It's more um, digestible because it's something we see and we get accustomed to it. And we get accustomed to it, we won't call it a miracle. We'll call it, hey, that's just nature happening. Don't pay attention. So the whole point is yes to pay attention. And that's where we get to now is the conscious human being. Are you a conscious, aware human being? A higher state of consciousness and awareness. And of course, there are many levels of consciousness and awareness. But let's just begin with the basic level. That be aware every 24-7, there's more going on than meets the eye. Let's start with that. Sometimes you appreciate it, sometimes you don't. But you are always aware humbly. There's more than meets the eye. In your personal narrative, in the narrative of others, in the interaction of things, even in the phenomena of existence itself. And never become arrogant to say, I have it all figured out. We've reached, we reached the bottom of the well. No. The rabbit hole continues deeper and deeper and deeper. And if there's subatomic particles, there's sub subatomic, sub sub sub, there's no end to the process because we don't have a clue for how far it goes. That is the first humble recognition of a truly aware person. And you'll say, well, that's recognizing that we don't know so much. Yeah, but at least you know that you don't know. And there are people who don't know that they don't know. And they think, okay, you know what? I may not have it all figured out, but I have it somewhat figured out. This awareness, this humble awareness of not knowing how deep it goes or that there is more that meets the eye is itself tremendous insight. And that opens the door for you actually to go there. Because as soon as you have it figured out, that figuring out, that type of comfort that you have reached, that type of certain clarity that you think you've reached, blocks you from reaching true, deeper clarity because you think, I got it already. Let's move on. So this isn't just an academic exercise of figuring out what are miracles in life, what are natural events. It's actually who you are and how inquisitive and curious you are and how you will grow in your life. So all this comes together that once you have that higher awareness, then what happens is you start looking at life that way, that everything you see, there's more going on. You will, and that's why we use the word easily, discover hidden miracles. Because they're there all the time. You come into a situation, into a room, to a party, you meet somebody. So you may be going for an ostensible reason, which is a business meeting, uh, entertainment, a friend invited you, a night out, whatever it may be. But when you go with those eyes of looking for the horizon, looking for the big picture, then suddenly opportunities come. You meet somebody, it's not just a casual thing. Ask a few key questions, and you find out you have something in common. You can learn something. Maybe it's a connection. Maybe it can lead you somewhere. Maybe it can get you a position, a job, a client, business opportunity, or other things. Above all, an enriching of your own soul through the interaction with someone else. 
So me, what this means is there's opportunities, hidden opportunities, or we'll call them hidden miracles everywhere. So one person who doesn't access it, for them it's a complete miracle. They say, I can't believe that you spoke to that person and you were able to get, get an appointment and, and something came out of it. That's a miracle. The answer is not a miracle. It's you chose to interact and engage and look for the deeper opportunity in that particular interaction and narrative. And the other person did not, for whatever reason. Laziness, fear, insecurity. So essentially, looking with those eyes, then you start seeing miracles everywhere. I'd rather even use the word opportunities. The divine opportunities, the the energy everywhere, waiting to be released. So when you think of it that way, miracle is not just that fantastical escape from reality. It's the extraordinary within the ordinary. It's the unusual in the, within the usual. And it's, we're a, a key player here because it's not just an objective reality because objective reality are happening all the time but the question is whether we're part of it, whether we're aware of it, whether we're conscious of it. And that's the beauty of this. It's in your control. So people say, I can't wait for a miracle to happen. I'm waiting for a miracle. Or I'll believe it when I see it. That all is a passive and even almost detached attitude. Why don't you think of it this way? That you have the power to create miracles, to access, to uncover the miracles that are already there waiting to be released. Then the responsibility is upon you because it's dependent on you and your attitude and your relationship and your initiative. There were a group of students in 1960 who came to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And they interviewed college students about different matters. One of them was, they say that you can perform miracles, they said to the Rebbe, as a mystic, as a great leader, as a sage. Is it true? And the Rebbe went on to explain, he says, what people say about me, you don't have to necessarily, I don't have to necessarily react to, but I'll talk to you about the concept itself. The concept of a miracle, he said, was this. Imagine everything in existence is made up of a structure. But let's say you can go into the engine room and rewire that structure from within. So, of course, the consequence of that is that the phenomenon or the event or the entity will change because you've rewired something. So that's what a miracle is. The rewiring of something, the spiritual energies within physical phenomena, and therefore something can alter on the physical level. That's how he explained the, the anatomy the, of a miracle. Then the Rebbe went on and said at the end of the, the, the private audience, he said, so, since everything has to come into action, all our talking, all your questions and my answers, let's take on, when you take on a resolution tonight, after you leave this room, that as a result of the inspiration of our conversation, you will add a good deed that you would have not added without it, the Rebbe said, we will have performed a miracle. Actually, in the spoken version, the Rebbe said, I will have performed a miracle. When the Rebbe edited it, he wrote, we will have performed a miracle. Think about it. It's just a a, um, remarkable concept and insight into life. That it's not things happening to us, it's things that we initiate. If we come into a situation where naturally we may just leave passively, indifferent, or leave the situation the way it was before we entered, then nothing happened. It was a wasted opportunity, but if you go into a situation and you allow it to empower you, or you empower the people, other people involved, and it turns into a good resolution, into an action, 
something that changes the reality that would not have happened unless that interaction took place, that's a miracle. What's the miracle part of it? The miracle part is that you've shaken up, you've um, challenged the status quo, and you've changed the course of history and destiny of the people involved, of the environment of the situation. It's remarkable. It's remarkable and fascinating because it means that we, every step we take, we have the opportunity to change history, to change destiny, ours and the thing we're interacting with. And that is the ultimate miracle. So then nature would be just letting things be and you're passive. And miracle would be tapping into those renewed energies, using them for something good, for some growth, for something productive, and a miracle takes place. So then a miracle is really the tapping into these hidden energies that are waiting to be released in every interaction, in every, inter, in every communication, every encounter that we will have in our lives. And in that sense, yes, miracles are all over. Literally everywhere. Right now within you. The ability to do something different. And that leads me to the place we, that we all address, which is getting stuck. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. So we've talked about this in previous weeks, that the expression in the book of Kehelet, Ecclesiastes, that says, the gen- a generation comes and a generation goes and nothing new under the sun. Under the sun, nothing new. When you look with those eyes, but above the sun, it's constantly new. So then we go to the monotony of our routines. I'm stuck. How many people have told me? I don't know what to do anymore. So of course, once you feel that way, we can't always free ourselves from our own attitudes. So you have to bring in someone else fresh air. Someone else is a perspective. You have to join a group. You have to join another individual. Ride on them. Let them ride on you. Because our own attitudes can trap the miracle from being released. But there's miracles right under the surface. You must always know that. And if you can't access it because you're own trapped in your own resignation or, lack or hopelessness, you have to then find others that can help you get out of it not help you and save you, but throw that, throw that lifeline that helps us see a little differently and then act on it. So yes, we are miracle workers. And we're capable of bringing light in a dark place. Well, people say, look at history. History is so dark. People have people's injustices, wars, murders, hurting each other. With all that darkness, how would we expect to change things? And look, in history... We've made the world a better place because people believed in the miracle of light. They believe that light is, dominates over darkness, naturally. And if you commit to it and you, and you pay the price and you invest and engage, you do initiate that supernatural event, supernatural attitude, extraordinary within the ordinary. Now you'll say, well, there are billions of people out there that are not doing that. Well, they became part of the problem in a way. They have become part of the routine. That's why we're here. Every one of us, in every situation you come into a situation, is to disrupt the routine. I mean disrupt in a good way. To lend a fresh perspective. To look at things in a new light. To look how you can make things better and improve them and bring a virtue, a spiritual sensitivity to every given situation. So are you going to be part of the problem or are you going to be part of the solution? Are you going to be part of the natural routine, quote-unquote, or are you going to be part of the miraculous renewal of discovering a new opportunity, a new possibility?
It always strikes me as an aside that insurance policies, they have hazard insurance and so on. They have the expression that what's not covered, hurricanes, um, volcanoes, and other acts of God. So I've asked a few attorneys who deal with insurance and so on. Why is the acts of God? Isn't there the separation of church and state? Suddenly we have a God. And no one really can have. They said it's just that became the language. Why not acts of nature? Until I thought of this, and I don't know if this is accurate or not. If it's acts of nature, it's still not airtight protecting the insurance companies. Because then you could argue who should, have, who should compensate and who should have accounted for natural events. But if you can blame it on someone like God, so it's a perfect scapegoat. It's not us, it's God. So even though the same in other situations, the same person would consider themselves to be an atheist, a non-believer, here is money involved, acts of God. But acts of nature are acts of God. It's just that nature has taken on its own life of its own as if like saying, oh, you know, it's nature. So you don't need a God. You don't need some higher power. I remember once on a flight from New York to LA, I was watching uh, something on the Discovery Channel, one of these nature shows. And it was, it was basically talking about the miracle of how life began, how human life evolved. I kid you not, I would say probably a hundred times in that hour show, they used the word miracle. But never attributing it to higher force, the miracle of nature, the miracle that one summer or one spring when the winter th- frost thawed and the apes and monkeys went hunting and they were walking on all fours so they would get the, 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 the grasses, the nuts that would fall off of trees. But one year there was a drought, so there was nothing to eat on the ground, so they had to reach up into the trees to pick fruit, berries, nuts, and so on. So that caused them to begin walking upright. The miracle of that event, of when the ape began walking on two. And I said to myself, you know, it's interesting. They just used the word miracle simply because it could have not happened. Simply because what are the odds that it would happen? And again and again and again. Now, I'm not trying to advocate here for God, but it's interesting how everybody conveniently has replaced words miracle, miracle of nature. Nature, that's nature. What do you want? When in truth, if you just think about it with a little intelligence, everything is more than what meets the eye. Nature is not nature. Miracle is not miracle. There's more going on here that defines reality. And that's what we're talking about, how we can access it. So here we are on this 18th day of Elul. As I said, the birthday of both the Baal Shem Tov and the Altar Rebbe, both great mystics who taught the concept of perpetual renewal, who taught the concept of seeing this extraordinary within the ordinary, the unusual within the usual, that taught us how we can walk our lives, walk on this earth, and live and lead our lives in a way that everything is exciting, everything is filled with brimming with vitality and dynamic energy, and waiting for us to, waiting for us to be released, to release that energy, both for the benefit of that entity, that phenomenon, that object, and for our benefit. And beautiful when you think about it. Energy everywhere waiting to be released. Hidden miracles. And when we do so, we create the greatest miracle of all. The miracle of change. That we've taken a situation and not allowed the natural course, but we've actually changed the course for the better. That's the ultimate miracle. We're also now in the last few days, last 12 days, of this uh, last month of the Hebrew month that leads us into Rosh Hashanah 12 days from now.
12-day countdown. So it's an excellent way of preparing for the new year. New year, renewal, new month, a new moon, a new year. And as the mystics explain, that the entire universe will go into a comatose state, only to be renewed and revived and uh, re-energized and recharged. So this is a great opportunity to start thinking with a new perspective. To start, stop thinking with old perspectives, because that's the key to every change. If you look with old eyes, you see old things. If you think what you thought, and you say what you said, and you do what you did, you know what you're going to have? What you had. You want something new, you have to do something new. You have to speak something new. You have to think new. That's how it works. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. So what better opportunity now in this period of time, where actually in existence and the, in, the, in the cosmic level itself, existence is entering a, a stage of renewal, which is all year round, but especially at the end of the year, in the new year, in a re- completely renewed way, like the, the birthday of Chayel, the Alter Rebbe says in the fourth section of Tiny, section 14, he says that a new energy enters unprecedented, that never existed and never will exist. New opportunity. Is that not a miracle? And that's what we want to tap into. And the beauty here is that miracle and nature come and converge. Because it's within nature that we find that which is beyond nature. The miracle within nature. The extraordinary within the ordinary. So it's not a miracle that defies nature or suspends it, even though there are such. But its main thing is to elevate it. Orim nisi. Because the word nest, nature, I said, was submerged. And nest is like a flag. I I raise the flag above the mountains. It lifts things up. It lifts up consciousness, awareness. It lifts up the inner energy that lies hidden within all of existence and elevates it, makes us aware of it, and elevates us in the process and everyone around us and the entire universe. That's what it's all about. So that I want to bid you all to have a miraculous week, a miraculous week in the nature of our lives and routines. And please see us, the Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com, as a real resource. We have many, many, many articles and videos and audio and text and anything you wish. You can download it, podcasts, on your iPad, on, on, different, on, all, vehicle, on all vehicles and all platforms, social media and so on. So feel free to visit and browse our site, share, like, send us any of your comments, send us any of your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So this has been Simon Jacobson wishing you we'll still have a program next Wednesday as we do every Wednesday, except when there's a holiday, which we'll announce beforehand, 8.30 p.m., and then it's archived. So we will have one next week before Rosh Hashanah. Everyone should have a very blessed week, a miraculous week. And yes, see and discover and discern, detect the hidden miracles that are right now waiting for you to just recognize them and bring them to the surface. Everyone be well. Thank you.